0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of December 30th, 2019. Happy New Year. On the show today, the news roundup, plus the story of how we hacked Disney's Priceline Express deals. In our main segment, Jim gives us the history of the nativity scene at the Disney Village Marketplace. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose suggested New Year's resolution is to stop blaming everyone else for your problems. Instead, Pick one person and pin everything on them. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Well, Glenn, and that man is Kilgore Trout. <laughs> one specific person.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been kind of on a Kurt Vonnegut run lately, especially when it occurred to me to – if you ever read any Vonnegut, because one of the running themes of the Vonnegut books is the Ramjack Corporation, which owns 19% of America, and he, he would do this. We, we you know, call it would. Halliburton these days, Jim. Well, then, actually, <laughs> the, the, I was thinking, we in the effect of Exxon, which is owned by Mobile, which is owned by the Ramjack Corporation. Okay. And, and these days, you'd have to update it to get it to Exxon, which is owned by Bubble, which is owned by Ramjack, which is owned by the Walt Disney Company. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> A fully owned subsidiary. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at disneydish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers John S., M. Schmidt, and Jedi R., and longtime subscribers Tara, Dave, and Hang the Code. True story, Jim, these folks are the stunt doubles and personal assistants for the characters at Disney Junior live on stage at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I am told that Doc McStuffins specifically asks for Tara. To make his three o'clock martini every day, because you know how actors are, Jim.
1: You open a door to a whole
0: new side of the where do th- I get these news to- items? They just I, keep I, coming I, in, folks. There we go. <laughs> so. All right, folks, let's do the uh, the news. Jim, first up, it's a new week, so that means Disney has changed its boarding group procedures for the Rise of the Resistance ride. Are you familiar with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still seeing thousands of people show up at the pre-dawn in hours, but. Disney, this is their effort to sort of mitigate that situation, right? Or-
0: right. So um, the first couple of weeks that the uh, ride was open, the advice that we gave to people was get there two hours before the park's official opening. So if the park was uh, park's official opening was seven, Disney was actually opening the park at six, which means if you got there at five, you would be among the first people into the park and you had to be in the park to use the Disney my, my Disney Experience app to get a boarding group to, to be able to ride the ride, so basically it was first come first serve. And Disney made a couple of changes to this along the way, but to their credit, they recognized that you know, over the the New Year's, the Christmas and New Year's holidays, people are paying top dollar for their vacations. It's the most expensive time of the year. It's also the most crowded time of the year. It's also the coldest time of the year. It's been been chilly here in, in Orlando the last couple of weeks. So you don't want your biggest spenders having to wake their kids up at four o'clock in the morning and go stand out in the cold for two hours to ride the newest ride. So Disney's solution to this was, was the following. The park's official opening time is still going to be you know 7 a.m. or whatever it is um, over the next couple of weeks. They will still unofficially open the park an hour before that. So let's say 6 a.m. However, uh, you won't be able to join a boarding group for Rise of the Resistance until the official park opening time of 7 a.m. or whatever it is. So, that means that you don't have to arrive at the park two hours in advance. Now, if you get there an hour in advance and you get through security and you're actually in the park, and you should be, by the way, within an hour. If you're there an hour in advance, you can enter the park and then everyone joins a boarding group at 7 a.m. I will say also, Jim, that the ride has been running more reliably over the last week. So, they're easily getting through the 120 boarding groups a day that they normally do. In fact, uh, some days they go well beyond that, and they've also added uh, alternate boarding groups or option or um, uh, contingency boarding groups. So these are boarding groups that will get on in the evening, assuming the ride has run reliably throughout the day. So let's say you uh, you get there like at you know 7:30 a.m. Uh, and there are still boarding groups available, or let's say 7:45 a.m. or 8 a.m. There's still be some boarding groups available, but they might be these contingent boarding groups where if you come back in the evening, you might, might still have a chance to ride. So, you still have to be in the park by 8 a.m. To, to get into a boarding group with any sort of guarantee, right? It's not like you can show up at noon or 11 a.m. and expect to ride the ride. I don't think that's going to happen, especially you know the, over this past week, um, mm-hmm. for the, the week between Christmas and New Year. But Disney's done what they can to make sure that you're not standing out in the cold for an extra hour uh, or and that everybody who gets to the park around opening time has a fairly reasonable chance of actually riding the ride. So I, I think that's good, right, Jim? I mean, that's... Trusting, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And do we have
1: a sense yet of what sort of capacity does this thing have an hour now?
0: I'm told 1,700-ish. Mm-hmm. Theoretical hourly capacity they they haven't they haven't gotten anywhere near that. I don't think they've broken sixty five percent of that on a regular basis. Okay, so still a ways to go. And you can tell that right when you're when you're in the ride when you're on the Star Destroyer, there are a bunch of spots like not not numbered spots but colored spots that you stand on where mm-hmm. you go into the uh, the interrogation cell. And in general, you can tell that some of those aren't being used on a regular basis. Like there are some mm-hmm. parts of that hallway, that L-shaped hallway uh, that simply aren't being used, right? They're, they're not, mm-hmm. they're, they're never positioning people on there. So the ride's not running quite at, at, at capacity yet. Okay. January 17th, we've got the Disneyland version opening up. And right. A lot of stuff happening on January 17th. So Disneyland's version opens up. Over here in mm-hmm. Walt Disney World, we've got all of the new, Ep- uh, a bunch of new Epcot stuff coming. We've got the new Excellent festival, uh, the- 2020 mm-hmm. version of the festival of the arts we've got the new yeah. awesome planet movie we've got the new mm-hmm. canada movie yeah a yeah, lot of stuff going on wide. Mm-hmm. all right jim so oh, by the way I've, I've ridden rise again uh so this past weekend i got up twice early both times to go to go ride the ride i still think it's a fantastic experience each time i'm riding i'm, I'm riding with people who are um who've never seen it before uh mm-hmm. so it's always great to see their reactions everyone that i've <laughs> uh, i've ridden with absolutely loves the ride
1: have you done managed to get both ride paths yet,
0: or? I think I have. So um, this last time that I went, mm-hmm. I got I went through a standby side I'd never seen before, mm-hmm. with the extensive queue and everything. So I think I've I've done both now. Yeah.
1: Okay. Cool. 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 All right.
0: So uh, for our next new segment, it's actually uh, a story that we uh, we can't tell un- uh, until now. So I think Jim and I have alluded to this before. There are there are some stories that we that we know that we can't tell until after the fact, either because telling the story would reveal our source. Like, you know, two people in the world had this information. And uh, if we if we said it, they would be exposed. Or the thing that we're talking about or we want to talk about is still going on. And if we talked about it, it would ruin it for everyone. By the way, Jim, let me pause here. Did you, have you ever seen the XKCD comic? You're familiar with the comic, right? XKCD? hmm Okay. So, he did this comic one time where he said, this is how... Uh, computer people imagine an interrogation would go. Yeah, and the interrogation go- is something like this. Darn, he's encrypted his laptop with 4,096-bit uh, with RSA encryption. We'll need a supercomputer in a million years to break it. And, but the reality is, uh, here's a $5 wrench. Go hit this guy in the kneecaps until he gives us the password. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> that, that's how things go, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. so let me tell you, Jim, the story of how we hacked Disney's Priceline Express deals. As you guys know, uh, Touring Plans uh, uses math and science to save time and money on Disney World trips, right? We've done that for you know 20 years. That attracts, though, a lot of people who enjoy solving problems the same way. So a great number of our users are, for lack of a better world, word, uh, nerds like me, right? Mm-hmm. So over a year ago, I got an email from a Touring Plans user named John, who said he uh, was researching deals on Priceline Express and had discovered an interesting pattern while trying to figure out uh, which Priceline Express deals were for Disney hotels. So so a quick recap. Um, Priceline uh, itself works as a a hotel booking engine, a lot like Expedia. You you put in your dates. It shows you a bunch of hotels with specific dollar amounts for the rates. And you just pick them and book them, right? But but Priceline also has this thing called Priceline Express deals, where they won't reveal to you the hotel name until you've already booked. So it'll say something like, Jim, you know, you're going to Orlando. Here's a four-star hotel for $128 a night. If you book it now, or here's a three star hotel for seventy five dollars a night. We won't tell you the hotel name until after you book it, but we guarantee you it's a three or four star hotel, and we guarantee you this is the right. Jimmy, you familiar with this? Yeah, yeah. Nancy and I have used this many times. Okay, so, so you go through the booking process, and uh, you know uh, the first screen you enter your dates uh, and where you want to stay. The second screen they give you a list of choices. Again, you know here's a three star hotel at this price. Here's a four star hotel at this price. Here's a you know a three star villa you know, at this price and so on. And then once you pick one of those, um, you go to the, to the to the booking screen where you actually enter in the names of the people staying with you. And there's a big confirmation button that, and you enter in your credit card information and you basically, you, you click to book. Okay. So anyway, this last screen is the one where if you click the button, you actually buy the hotel room. So John had started digging into the code, uh, the HTML code that's used to display that last page on your web browser. And in among... Uh, those hundreds and hundreds of pieces of data on that page, John had found a field called encrypted hotel name. And John noticed that there were certain patterns in this field and he thought that he could crack the code as it were. Right? So let me just say, by the way, um, I have no personal knowledge that John ever worked for a three letter government agency for, for all I know, the time that he spent in Eastern Europe as a management consultant was actually spent doing actual consulting for actual companies. And his parents taught him those 11 Slavic dialects that he occasionally lapses into when he talks. Ab- totally normal, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> he, he almost certainly, as far as I know, Jim, uh, does not have in-depth knowledge of cryptography or access to a world-class supercomputer because that would just be crazy, right? <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> you got to get the disclaimers okay. out of the way early. Jim. There we That's go. You're covered, Len. Please okay. proceed. <laughs> so so anyway, John figures out that all Disney hotels in this Priceline Express encrypted hotel name field, they all begin with the same set of characters. And those characters are the following. 1, 2, D, E, 4, B C A A, 1, A, E, 3, D, 1, FF. F. So it appears to be a 32-byte 30 code, according to John, where each byte represents a letter. In this case, 1-2 represents D, the D in Disney. D-E represents the I in Disney, and so on. So with that, John figures out how to decode the first 16 characters of each hotel name. So he gets like 80% of Disney's hotels this way, right? So Disney's Caribbean or Disney's Carib, you know, whatever the 16 characters are, pretty much identifies Caribbean Beach as the hotel, right? If it's a Disney's uh, Poly, right? Mm -hmm. We know it's the Polynesian Resort. And he gets like 80% of the hotels this way. And this is where I get involved. So, John emails me and he says, hey, I've got this information, but it's not complete because some hotels begin with the same set of letters. So, like Disney's Mm All-Star Resorts, right? All-Star Movies, All-Star Music, All-Star Sports. They all begin with the same 16 characters. Same thing with Disney's Boardwalk or Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, which can be a couple of different hotels. But they all begin with the same character. So John asked me, like, can you help me figure out the rest of these? And so I'm clearly not as smart as John, is this, right? I'm not going the cryptography route. My solution to John was: I will give you the money to book the hotel rooms. <laughs> and we could just, <laughs> we can figure out definitively what it is. Like, what is this oh. gonna cost us? A thousand, fifteen hundred dollars? I'll give you the money, right? Just for this, just for this discount information. So that's what we do, right? So we just book the hotel rooms to figure out the rest of of Disney's hotel, so we do. So eventually John cracks all of the Disney hotel data and he starts a spreadsheet to track these deals every day. And John, by the way, is blogging this for us like once or twice a month. And he's not saying explicitly how to do it. He's giving the most broad hints that he can about how to do it. He's like, well, if you look at this particular piece of information, like maybe the amenities, or you look at the particular location that uh, Priceline is saying, or you look at the number of reviews, whatever it is, you can kind of narrow it down. Now, if you're smart, Right? If you're enterprising, you email John and say, hey, I have a follow-up question. And John basically sends you the spreadsheet right? that says, here's how, here's how to, to tell it you know, definitively. Right. So in terms of the deals, right, John, John starts tracking this all on a spreadsheet. And he's going a year out. He's going well into 2020 on the deals. But the deals are amazing, Jim. Like $41 a night at All-Star Sports. Mm-hmm. Which, let me just put that in perspective. Mm-hmm. On the last show, we talked about the rates after 9-11. This is in 2019 and 2020, mm. this was lower than that rate 20 years ago. Holy Inflation God. for adjusted is by far the cheapest hotel room we've ever mm. seen on Disney property. Animal Kingdom Lodge, $144 a night. Beach Club, Ooh. $178 a night. I mean, r- again, rates that would have been great 20 years ago, John's mm. able to get for, for people in the know this mm. year, right? So again, we, we obviously, we can't share this information for every, for, with everyone because because Priceline Express would have taken it away. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if you ask around in the right places on the internet and you know a couple of people who know a couple of people, you could have learned this trick for yourself. And I'm saying, and I'm saying this, Jim, because many of the, the people who listen to this podcast were told the trick and were sworn to secrecy. And admirably, they kept the secret. You all know who you are. And thank you. But for a long time, it was the, uh, the absolute best way to get a fantastic deal on a Disney hotel room. And the reason why I'm saying this now, Jim, is because it looks like they took the encrypted hotel name field. Away for good. Hmm. So I, I get to tell the story. I, uh, I've hmm. been wanting to tell the story to honor John and his work for the <laughs> longest time. This seems like a good play, uh, time to do it. Um, hmm. Again, encrypted hotel name field, I don't think is there anymore. It's been replaced with something else. I will leave you with this, Jim. Have we cracked hmm. the new format? <laughs> Maybe someday we'll tell that story too.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At this point, this is the, the, the with a manager in the, the reservation center, you know, reaches into his desk drawer and pulls out the bottle of scotch. It's <laughs> like, oh, wow. You've just made somebody's
0: day. I, and, I, somebody. and I know, you know, as we're saying this, I know there are people at Priceline Express and there are people in Disney's analytics department who are mm-hmm. basically throwing up their hands and saying, every experiment we've tried over the last, you know, two years or whatever, and, and well into 2020 is basically corrupted by this particular thing. That's part of the game, right? That's just part of that's. It's part of what we do. It's part of what they do. They mm-hmm. know how it works. But uh, yeah. Anyway, hats off to John. Fantastic effort. Uh, valuable asset of the Touring Plants community. And I, I can't say enough about it. It's one of the great stories we've uh, we've ever I'd done. Love that. I just, I'm happy you know, to share that, it did, now. Uh, <laughs> no,
1: great story. Great story. <laughs>
0: All right, folks, when we come back, Jim is going to tell us the history of the nativity scene where it's Disney's Marketplace Village and how that all started. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, it is the holiday season, and you are here to tell us a holiday story, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, Nancy and I, when we were down in November, did the Christmas tree trail at oh, Disney, Disney Springs. Oh, Disney Springs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, very enjoyable. A touch mercenary, but love the detailing of the trees, and I can, get you know, I love the whole notion of. You can book ahead for Santa. I mean, in fact, they actually have a system, you know, that the folks running rise of the resistance, but really have to envy, you know, just say, go away, come back, Santa will be waiting. But if we go back all the way to when this retail operation down by the lake started, when it mm-hmm. was the Lake Vista Shopping Village, threw open its doors in May of 1975, uh, we had 32 bu- boutiques and handcrafted shops that people really didn't go out of their way to visit for that first year. It was kind of, I mean, we talked about this previously. It, was, it took quite a while for the shopping village to get just the right mix of elements to get not only the folks who were over at the parks to come over and sample it, but more to the point to get the Orlando locals to drive all the way out to Disney property. Oh, sure. They had a pretty grim fall, particularly at night, you know, guests. Uh, you know, And remember, this was back when Disney World actually used to have, slow times. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, I, and so, but 32 shops with nobody in them was very depressing. And so it was the notion of, what are we going to do to get people to come over here? And what they decided to do was, was called The Glory and the Pageantry of Christmas. This was a Renaissance-style entertainment where it was a live nativity scene that they built... Under the Captain's Tower, which you can still sort of see in the century, you know, in fact, I want to say it's over by where Once Upon a Toy was or is the new truncated Once Upon a Toy that half of it's been turned into the Void.
0: Right so this is the the marketplace area the original version of uh, or the original section of the uh, of the of the area
1: but again disney threw everything at this i mean the idea was right out of the box for the christmas of 1975 this was going to be a big deal we're talking about a cast 39 players live animals they brought the Dickens' carolers over from the Magic Kingdom. And this was not White Christmas. This was not—it's cold outside. This is them singing traditional uh, you know, Christmas, like Little Town of Bethlehem, Away in a Manger, huh. Three Kings, and that sort of thing. And, and it turned out that they hit upon something that people really, really responded to. So much so that you know, so many Central Floridians would turned out for this thing that they ended up, over the holiday season— they do 3 shows a night. They do really? a 6, a 7:30 and a 9:30. They reached out to a lot of local churches who would bring choirs in to perform. What Disney loved is that people would have to line up and get a ticket. For example, you showed up and it's like, well, day of, you have to come here and pick up the ticket. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, we only have the nine o'clock presentation left, but feel free to shop among our 32 shops while you're waiting. And this continued, Len, for 17 years. Wow. This was a holiday tradition for Central Floridians and and a a lot of folks at Disney World who genuinely enjoyed it, uh, who would go out of their way, you know, this predates... The Mickey's uh, Very Merry Christmas Party. You know, right. this, this was the first thing out of the box. This had been so successful that when the Empress Lily opens in May of seventy-seven,
0: mm-hmm.
1: problem is that they have this elaborate recreation of a, a, a paddle wheeler right. that is just sitting empty during the day. Three different, le- you know, restaurants. You know, the, the Empress Lily. You know, over the top and all that but all of the space with nothing in it. And the interesting thing is that first year uh, when George Calagridis, you know, <laughs> back when, you know, George was you know, sort of a rank and file cast member, you know, he tells the story about how they're like, what are we going to do with this big empty restaurant? And again, we're looking now to get people over to, uh, you know, we've had two years now of the uh, living activity at night, but we're not getting shoppers here in the morning. Mm -hmm. And, well, and George is the one who notices, well, you know, my local fire department does a thing where kids can come in and have breakfast with Santa. Maybe we could do that. And so, for the holiday season in 1977, they do a breakfast with Santa on board the Empress Lily. And... And it does exactly what the Living Nativity did at night. Kids turn, you know, parents show up with their kids. You know, they, they sit the kids down to have breakfast with Santa and get his picture of it while, while mom, you know, goes off and shops. We were just talking on the earlier show about uh, the character breakfast of Topolino. Len, this is where character breakfasts start at
0: Right. Disney. Wow. You know, that, with Santa.
1: Well, the, and that's the thing. Go, come January, it's like, well, Santa's got to go back to to the North Pole. and it's If like, only we had well, another character.
0: <laughs> you know, that's it, exactly. Where, where you know, are we going to find those
1: damn characters? That was the thing. The manager at Yembers yeah, Lily w- was so... It's like, I love this revenue stream. Can we keep this going? And it's well, let's try it with a character. And if you remember, at the absolute height, the Empress Lily was wanting, what, three seatings a day? Four seatings a day? Yeah, that's a lot uh, for breakfast. For, for character breakfast.
0: Brunch, yeah.
1: Yeah, but as happens, you know, all good things have to come to an end. And in the case of the glory and the pageantry of Christmas, it's moved from under the, the captain's tower to the dock stage. And, you know, it's it's running nightly right up until December 24th. But what ends up happening is that Disney makes a decision that the Candlelight Procession, which has been presented at the Magic Kingdom uh, since 1971, it's like, yeah, you know, but we have to do it around the train station, and it's a big pain in the butt. And meanwhile, we are looking to create more ways to get people to go over to Epcot. And remember, you know, Epcot 94 is when – they brought in the interventions idea, and so you know, well, we're trying to fix Epcot. Why don't we tr- Why don't we try moving the candlelight procession over to from the Magic Kingdom to Epcot? And Ooh. then it became a question of okay, well, we're already using Magic Kingdom resources for the living nativity. I mean, we've got our Dickens carolers that we send there, and they made the mercenary choice that. All right. If we're going to do a a, a Christmas show, you know, and we really going to put our you know our promotional might behind candlelight procession and making this into a thing for Epcot, uh, we should probably shut down
0: the nativity, and that's what they did. Right. Drive drive people into a theme park where they've got to buy tickets to see it.
1: There you go. There you All go. All right. The way they decided to replace it was with tropical Santa. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a whole other story, Jim. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that that didn't last all that long. And what I love is that you know it only took them another twenty five years. You know, from from ninety four to what two thousand nineteen. Well, actually, I think Christmas tree trail tra- 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 started in uh, two thousand seventeen. But here they have, they've got their brand new thing. And based on the lines I encountered back in November, the locals are definitely coming out for this thing at Disney Springs.
0: So, oh yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's still very popular. I was at uh, Springs. The last couple of nights, I've been there, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know, taking people around, and the uh, one weekday wasn't very busy at all. And I think it was the yeah. night of a uh, the night when the Magic Kingdom was not having a Christmas party. Um, but then the next night, when the uh, the the party was on, it completely packed. Like mm-hmm. basically, it, it might as well be New Year's Eve. And also, it helps that people were doing their holiday shopping and things like that. So,
1: but I I will say, having attended a Glory in the Pageantry of Christmas. It was an impressive show, but it was also a slow show. Yeah, you know, it was literally one of these things where they would bring with each individual player that that, that joined the nativity scene, and you know, somebody would walk on stage with a live camel or you know a live donkey, and then yeah. they out. would perform another song, and it just sort of. At the point you're 45 minutes in, it's like, I, how many wise men are there?
0: Right? <laughs> do do all three wise men need a speaking role here? Can we can we cut this down to two? There we go.
1: But that's it. It was very well done. In a weird sort of way, after spending a day at a theme park, it was a great palate cleanser and it kind of you oh. kind of reminded you of, how would they say it? The reason for the season. Exactly. Uh, there's a couple of folks who who videoed it, and like I said, just if you got 30 or 40 minutes. Sit down, enjoy it, but you may want to speed through that recording. So
0: <laughs> You played it one, uh, 1.25 uh, times playback, right? There we go. So, All right, Jim, great story. Thanks very much for it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's playing banjo and slide guitar at next week's Mountain High Music Festival in Crested Butte, Colorado. In the meantime, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.